I think that is kind of like the story of the entrepreneurial journey or the story of the professional journey for that matter as well, is that it's the journey that is the reward. It's not the end point. It's not about the end point. It's not about crossing the finish line. There, there is no finish line. There is literally no finish line in this journey. It is all about the journey itself, you know, and embracing that journey and embracing the grind. Hey, this is Jesse here, and you're about to hear my discussion with Pierre Lind, founder and managing director of iGaming Next, which is a content-driven conference company that focuses on both in-person and online events. Pierre is no stranger to podcasts as host of the popular iGaming Next podcast, but for this one, he sits on the guest side of the table and opens up about his own entrepreneurial journey in a very candid conversation. Amongst other things, Pierre talks about his career in the iGaming industry, which started at the age of 15 when he organized poker tournaments at school, much to the annoyance of his teachers. He also talks about his team's plans to launch iGaming Next conference business right before COVID and the ensuing story of perseverance through that challenging time, and his prediction on what he thinks will happen to the overloaded industry conference calendar and where iGaming Next will sit within it. This episode has instantly become one of my favorites, and I hope you enjoy hearing Pierre open up and tell his story as much as I did. Before we get started, I wanted to remind you that the Betting Startups newsletter is now a weekly publication, and if you're listening to this, then we bet you'll get value out of it. It's the easiest way for busy industry stakeholders to keep their finger on the pulse of the rapidly evolving early stage ecosystem and the most promising startups competing for a piece of it. The 10 seconds it takes to subscribe will be the highest ROI use of your time today, so drop everything and head on over to news.bettingstartups.com to subscribe. All right, we are back with episode 60 of the Betting Startups podcast, which I'm unofficially calling the hangover episode with us being only a few days removed from a thrilling Super Bowl 57. And maybe even more relevant to this podcast, we're also only a few days removed from the annual ICE conference in London, which unfortunately I wasn't able to attend this year. So I'm excited to welcome a guest that knows a thing or two about industry conferences. And Pierre, you're actually the first person I'm speaking with since ICE concluded. So let's start with a retrospective on the event from your perspective. How was ICE week for you and what are some of the major takeaways from it this year? Well, first of all, uh, Jesse, I'm honored to be a part of the uh, podcast. I've been following you for uh, a while and you do uh, just an absolutely brilliant job. So thank you for bringing some fantastic thought leadership to uh, to the industry as well needed. Uh, and in, in regards to ICE, you know, it was definitely the biggest show that has ever taken place within the online sports betting and online gambling space uh, and the gambling space overall. It, it was huge this year. I spoke to some Someone from Clarion, the organizers that mentioned that uh, they had more than 50,000 registrations. Um, registrations, it should be said now, not actually attendees, but uh, something along the lines of 55K uh, registrations. And, and it showed during the conference. And this was the talk of the conference in general, just how big uh, the show actually was. And if you think about it, this was the first uh, major eyes, the first realized, so to say, since 2019, before the pandemic. 2020 was just when the pandemic was uh, uh, was uh, raging and it was just uh, around the corner from all the events being cancelled. But I remember in 2020 that um, uh, it definitely took a hit, the conference at that, uh, at that time. 2021 was cancelled. 2022, as we know, were moved to May and uh, kind of the land-based side turned, turned their uh, back against the conference. And so this was really the first time we could benchmark really how big the industry has become since 2019. And... Um, it's pretty safe to say that it's grown a lot. And it was the first time as well where uh, the, the entire show floor of Excel was used. So from mm -hmm. uh, from beginning to end, uh, the entire 
uh, entire uh, venue was was being used. And in fact, um, ICE is now the the biggest show that Excel puts on in the entire year. So I think it's quite interesting uh, just how our little you know gambling industry uh, is essentially putting on the biggest conference in the United Kingdom, more or less. So all positive, just in general, there's a lot of talk around South America in general was like kind of like a hot topic this year during the conference. The online part of the show has grown massively since uh, pre-pandemic. And I would say now that um, online is probably bigger than land-based, I get the feeling. Whereas that has not been the case before. So the trends are pretty clear on that regard. Like online is definitely... Uh, on the march and online is taking over. So that, that would be ice in a nutshell from my, from my side, I think. And then just one quick question in terms of the attendees, maybe the people you were meeting with or speaking with Pierre, what was your sense of just, I guess, the attendance from folks from North America traveling over to London? Like, we'll get into this in a few minutes, but just with the sheer number of industry shows and events on the calendar now, you know, we have to be a bit more selective about which we're attending. What's your sort of sentiment in terms of just the overall attendees from a geographical perspective? Yeah, it's a it's a great question, Jesse. And I think, uh, you know, as an organizer myself, this is something we think a lot about in general. It's, uh, you know, everyone is agreeing that uh, there is too many conferences in the calendar today. And uh, how is that going to affect um, a conference like ICE or like others, like us, for example? Uh, I think it's pretty clear to say that the leader will always be the leader, uh, so to say. And um, the people who see ICE as relevant will definitely always attend ICE. Uh, but to your point on the North American segment, I think it's definitely a bit of a divide. I mean, there, there were definitely uh, quite a few Americans there. You know, I mean, we had quite a lot of meetings with uh, American-based organizations and so on. But um, a large part of the segment uh, did not attend ICE, for sure. And I know quite a lot of few people, you know, including yourself, obviously, who did not attend ICE. And I suppose that is due to the fact that uh, for a lot of American-based companies, the European side of the industry is just not that relevant overall. I mean, the United States gambling market is, to a large extent, is quite ring-fenced towards the rest of the world. Uh, Most American online gambling companies and and, um, land-based companies uh, mostly operate within the United States, with some exceptions, of course. You know, you have quite big suppliers, of course, that that operate uh, globally as well. But many, many, especially of the smaller companies, particularly those you talk to in 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 the startup world, are mostly only relevant to the North American market. So perhaps ICE is not the most relevant conference for them. Awesome. Well, let's leave ICE there. We'll continue on with the industry event conversation shortly here, Pierre. But maybe just a segue for a second before we get into things uh, with iGaming next. I actually just want to talk briefly about podcasting in general. Uh, I think you actually might be the first guest I've had that that is you know something close to a full-time podcaster as well. So I just want to compare notes here. I think first and foremost, the interesting thing to me, Pierre, is that you and I've actually only chatted once before, which is something of a fluke into itself that we haven't actually crossed paths, in my opinion. But that aside, it's interesting to me how podcasting gives you the ability to feel like you actually get to know somebody just by listening to them talk. Yeah. And, you know, for me, I, I probably have a sort of a half dozen podcast in my weekly rotation and the people that host them, I've never met, I've never talked to, but yet somehow I feel like really connected to them. And, you know, speaking to you, I feel like we've known each other for a long time. And, you know, I know lots about you Thanks. through the, you know, you like, you have an MMA background, you have a passion for like all these random facts. And I just, I guess, want to get a sense from you just in terms of your podcasting journey, like what's your sort of relationship to podcasting right now? And, and sort of how do you think about your role as host of a podcast? And what's it mean to you being out there on such a public platform and being so visible? 
Yeah, first of all, yes. Can I can I ask you a question back here? Not not to yeah, turn yeah. the tables back here, but uh, have you been to conferences uh, or like uh, you know situations within the online gambling spaces when people come up to you and like tell you, oh, I've listened to the podcast, you know, they have a conversation. Does that happen to you when you go to? I mean, your popular podcast is very popular these days, so we imagine this happens a lot to you. So yeah, so you answer it's a very is funny yes, thing. Pierre. It is a funny thing, man, and and it's. It, First happened about a year ago at, I think, an SPC event in New Jersey. And I'd had somebody come up to me. They saw the name tag, which said host of the Betting Startups podcast. And they ran up to me and said, oh, my God, you're the Betting Startups podcast guy. I listened to like six episodes on my trip here to New Jersey <laughs> on the airplane. Right. And it was the first kind of aha moment for me. And I've had a many more examples right. since. And so, yes, it's it, it, it's quite bizarre to me still. I'm still getting used to that. But it is a thing. Absolutely. It's very funny, you know, because we, we talk, we, we have this, you know, very tiny um, industry and, you know, you see a lot of the same faces when you go to the conferences. And so, you know, in the last 10 or 15 years, not that must have changed. You know, you see some people come and go and so on and so forth. But it's a funny thing, as you mentioned with the podcast, that, um, you know, you, you've done 60 episodes uh, here. I've, I've, I've done a lot of episodes myself. And through those episodes, you kind of get to know a person. It's very difficult to fake your personality. Uh, through that many episodes, like hour in, hour out, day in, day out, producing this podcast. And and it's true. So you, you, a lot of people, they kind of get their relationship uh, to you as a, as a host, uh, if they, um, if, if they follow you and so on. And it happened to me, like now at ICE, for example, as well, you know, I'll be walking the show floor and someone comes up to me, oh, it's, oh are you Pierre, you know, the, the, the podcast host and uh, and I'm like, yeah, cool. Are you, like, do you watch a podcast? And it's like, yeah, cool. Which are your favorite episodes? And, and it's, it's a, it's a funny thing because we, we are such a niche, small industry that, uh, uh, it's, it's, it's funny to me how people treat you. They almost a bit nervous sometimes when they come up to talk to you and we, we, we're just the same person you were 10 years ago when they go to the conferences. But nonetheless, it's, it, I, I think that's to a, to a large extent why it's great to put yourself out there in general as a professional, right? So for, for anyone who is listening in general to this, I think that if you want to profile yourself as a, as a professional and get your name out there to produce content and to do a podcast or in whatever format that you're comfortable with, whether it's in writing or whatever it is, putting yourself out there is the best way to just produce a name and create a name and create a profile and really show yourself as someone who is like trustworthy and, 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 and so on and so forth. Because again, people form a relationship to you. They see the real character behind you. And this was very much the idea when we started Agamemnon X podcast that we wanted people to understand that we come from a good place more than anything. In, in our company, I've been, you know, in the gambling industry since I was 15 years old. You know, this is the only thing that I've done in my whole career. And so this passion for the industry and passion to kind of be a part of it and, and understand it and dissect it is something that's been with me for uh, a couple of decades, right? And so um, we thought that if people can see that in our intentions in how we build like Gaming Next, then they will trust our brand a lot more. And so when we produce, when we produce events or when we produce content, uh, that is something a lot of more people will feel that they can stand behind, basically, because we know that we have our heart in the right place. And so it is for us to show it. And we have this saying within our sales team, we keep saying it all the time, you know, uh, what is the best way to sell uh, in 2022? You know, if you if you back back the tape back to, say, 1995, it was this, uh, you know, Wolf of Wall Street type of selling ABC, always be closing. You close, you move on and you don't care. 
you know, but in 2022, we are so interconnected with each other that, uh, being honest and being genuine and being just a genuinely good person is the best way to sell. Uh, okay. So we always say in the sales team, always be yourself unless you're a serial killer, in which case don't be yourself. Okay. But then you don't, then you belong in another company at the, at the end of the day. But and so that's, has very much carried us through, uh, these uh, years when we started and founded the podcast. And that's very much why we do it. And to your final point as well, it's like, yeah, you get this very strange relationship with the guests as well. It's an intense and nerve-wracking thing to record a podcast. And so you kind of, you kind of connect through that, I think, uh, with, uh, between host and guests as well. And I find that a lot as well. Whenever I meet someone at the, at the conferences that I, I have done a podcast with, uh, it's kind of like you, you have this like unspoken friendship between each other. And so I'm looking forward to build up with you as well, Jesse. Look forward to you in person. 100% Pierre. Well, we'll do that in a few weeks and we'll talk about that soon here, but let's just rewind the tape a little bit here. Maybe, uh, for folks listening that might not be familiar with yourself, and I don't want to assume everybody has listened to your podcast, even though I think most people are familiar with it in the industry by now, but again, just for the benefit of people listening, Pierre, it'd be great if you could just give us a quick introduction, uh, on yourself, your background, maybe some of the major chapters of your career up until the founding of iGaming next. Right, right. I mean, so we started the origin story. I mean, I, I mentioned this earlier here. I've been in the industry, you know, you could say uh, since I was the tender age of 15, because at that age uh, in school, this was like right during the poker boom, like right during the height of the poker yeah. boom, you know, like imagine like the Chris Moneymaker days of WSOP and WPT becoming a big thing. So this was a big influence in, in our culture in Sweden. And so we used to play poker like every day in school, right? We used to pay for pennies and dimes kind of thing, but nonetheless, we would play, we would be playing for poker for money basically in, in school. And so I became the person who was in charge of the books in school. So I was kind of like the organizer of these games in the, in our school and the teachers would go crazy over this. You know, they would, they would try to find out, they knew that we were playing poker, but they didn't know who was in charge of the books, who, who owed who money essentially. And so, um. I managed to uh, kind of keep those books uh, safe, let's say, from the teachers. And I, I was kind of the central point into organizing these, uh, these games at school. And after I finished, after I graduated, uh, then a couple of years later, uh, I was hooked in the, in the poker scene, basically. So we used, to, we used to organize a lot of poker tournaments uh, outside of schools. Uh, we used to kind of gather a lot of people in the local town where I played to play poker. And we would play... You know, we would sit down on like a Tuesday night from 7 p.m. and we would play like, you know, 20 hours. Like we would just play all night long uh, without any alcohol, without anything. We would just play poker hardcore day in, day out. And that was like my one and only hobby. I was just totally mesmerized by the game. Uh, totally loved it. And I wanted to consume as much information about poker as possible. And so playing poker and organizing events uh, was something that came natural to me since I was a teenager. So these two, um, these two things has always been kind of the backbone of my uh, career. After a couple of years, I was um, elected into the um, uh, Swedish Poker Federation. So we used to organize the po Swedish Poker Championships in 2006, 2005. And this was the, one of the oldest tournaments, poker tournaments in Europe, essentially. It's been running since like the 70s, the Swedish Poker Championship. So I was very much a central part of that. And then eventually, you know, you kind of build your network and I was uh, poached and I was headhunted by Betson Group. Uh, that's how I came to Malta. So mm -hmm. 12 years ago, I moved over here to work as a young VIP manager with the best job in the world. My job was to 
take care of all the VIP poker players uh, and to travel around the world with all the VIP poker players. I, I was in Vegas, you know, every year I was in the Caribbean, around in Europe. And my only job was to make sure that our VIP poker players were having a good time, essentially. So you can't ask for more than that when you're like 22, 23 years old, I don't think. And after that, uh, uh, one thing led to the other, me and my business partner, Martin, then we started our event company, event management company 10 years ago, uh, of which I give in next was kind of born out of that as a small part of our company. It was just a kind of a side product to our bigger event company. We organized Agumenex the first time in 2019 uh, with the idea then to kind of democratize content in a way um, and bring con content and thought leadership more to the industry. Uh, that went really well. And so 2020 was going to be our big year for the conference. Like we were going to organize this conference. We're going to make it really big. And we had all the partners behind us and we were really excited. And obviously come, you know, March 10th, 2020, something like that, you know, the world just stopped and all the events just, you know, from one day to the other disappeared, right? We had to cancel all the events in our company for the entire year. We lost a hundred percent of the revenue in our company from one day to the other, uh, when, when COVID uh, took place. And if you remember during that time, it wasn't really clear of how long this pandemic was going to go on for. I remember SPC, for example, they postponed their Malta show from May till June. Okay. They, they, you know, it was like, okay, it's going to, it's going to blow over the summer. Right. is going to come. If you remember Donald Trump, uh, you know, he was saying, you know, when, when the summer comes, it's going to blow away, you know, or whatever. Like, and that was how, that was how people were thinking at that time. You know, it's it, in hindsight, you know, it's easy to forget that, but yeah. so it was, it became very difficult to, um, to understand exactly what we were going to do because we didn't really have any capital to, uh, to, to, uh, to weather a storm with, uh, in our company. Uh, on the other, you know, quite contrary, we were thinking like, should we just, you know, put the company aside and start working within the industry, something like that. And we do something else and maybe, you know, in a year's time or whatever, we can start from scratch again. Or, uh, we, we, so, so kind of, we gathered our employees at that time and we had a honest conversation with them that like, yeah, we don't know like how this is going to go. And so we had a, we had a bit of a brainstorm to see what can we do essentially. And. What we landed on was that, you know, we have two parts of our company. We have our corporate events and public parties that we did and stuff like that. And then we have this new product, I give me next. And we said, you know what, like the, the I give me next product is showing a lot of, um, it's, it's showing a, a lot of interest overall in the industry. And we think we have something different here. So we, we just said, screw it. You know, we'll go all in on this. We put all the, um, we put everything, uh, we put everything into that product and we took a big gamble basically with that next at that time to see if we could do something different. And that's how the podcast started and in, in kind of like April, 2020, we started to do digital events and, uh, we started to do more kind of, uh, online media at that time. And we really put everything, all the eggs in one basket. We put all our life savings into uh, being able to create like a five month runway for the company just to start from zero and try to create new revenue streams. And time went on and we started to get some traction in the products and things started to look a little bit better, so to say, but we still had a long way to go. And we realized at that time that, okay, either we seek investment 
with kind of like these new products and we managed to close an investment and we can kind of invest more into the products that are showing some interest and so on, or uh, this will end up in a, in a bankruptcy and me and Martin, my business partner, we're going to be in debt for the next 10 years, you know? And so waking up every day with these two options uh, was a very interesting uh, kind of time in, in, in your career. And it really creates like an incredible energy from that, 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 that we got, you know, we really had a knife against the throat every single day. And we always say now, looking back that during that time, we did about four years worth of work in four months, like quite literally. And as it turned out, you know, we, we got some incredible investors on board. Uh, when we signed those contracts, it was the most proud day of my life. I mean, bar none, you know, our employees, you know, we had to lower our salaries for, for, for the better part of six months to bare minimum in order to, to get through our, our employees, they did it with us and uh, all of them stayed in the company. And so I was eternally grateful uh, for our employees staying during that time and really fighting this through, through with us. And once we signed that contract and we could take, you know, okay, salaries again. The next uh, kind of objective for us was to save up enough money to pay the employees back eventually. And it's something that we then managed to do a couple of months ago, actually, that we surprised our employees by, by paying them back for uh, staying with us through COVID, those uh, deferred wages that they, uh, that they withheld. So it was, a, it was a proud moment at that time. And uh, obviously, we took in the investment. We put it all into the products that we uh, had created. And one thing led to the other. And I think uh, here we are today, essentially, with uh, Agumen X being uh, kind of a household name in the, uh, in the online sports betting, online, online gambling world. Albeit, we have just gotten started. We, we feel that we're just at the start of something amazing. And uh, the future is going to be very interesting. Well, I haven't heard that full story beginning to end, Pierre. So I guess first reaction, first and foremost, I mean, just a hell of a story of perseverance and going from, you know, surviving to thriving and just all of the turmoil and, and you know, ups and downs, I guess, through that period. And I guess hearing you talk about it, I can't help but think about just your poker background as well, right? As you said, pushing all of the chips in and going all in and really making that calculated bet, which I'm sure at the time for you was absolutely terrifying, was sort of the fork in the road. And I guess, yeah, just looking back on that now, like, you know, you're in a much better place with iGaming next. We'll come back to that in a second. But I guess just to tie off sort of the journey here to this point, is it fair to assume like that's been the most sort of challenging moment for you on your entrepreneurial journey with iGaming next so far? Or how do you sort of think back on those times now? Yeah, it's a good question, Jesse. And, uh, you know, at that time, it was basically from March of 2020 till November of 2020, when we were fighting for our lives uh, every day, more or less. And on top of that as well, you know, we put the life savings in there. We lowered the salary. So it was, it was also difficult from a private point of view to, mm -hmm. and, and as a leader in, during these very difficult times, you know, I think what I learned the most is just as a leader, you know, your employees look up to you and, and, and in, in difficult times, it is really important as a leader to always be the person who is um, at the front. Basically, your, your employees will look up to you. And if you show confidence, if you work really hard, if you can lead the way, the employees will follow. And especially during those times, that becomes a lot more clear when you go through that because the employees are nervous. They don't know what's going to happen. Will, will they have a, a job tomorrow? And, uh, you know, how are things going and so on and so forth. But if you can instill confidence by just being confident yourself, uh, that makes such a huge difference in how your employees will react to that as well and how the team will come together 
rather than being kind of pulled apart, uh, I would say. So that is, that is definitely like a big uh, learning experience from that time. Uh, I, I would say as well that because we are still kind of an up and comer, that pressure is definitely still there. And we have absolutely not secured uh, anything in the company yet. We are definitely not close to being in a place where I could say that we are safe. I don't think that's ever going to happen, to be honest. But uh, we are obviously in a better place than where we were, uh, say, two years ago. But I think as well, once we secured investment, it was it was a funny moment, you know, Jesse, because in, in my mind, I had like visualized how that moment would be. So during the 2020 period, there were many times where it was like very challenging, you know, like I, like I, I was like on a like even I had to like budget how I would how I was going to eat, for example, like I had a very like tight budget for how I was going to go through the day and stuff like that. And that was like mentally challenging. But what kept me kind of motivated is like that visualization of like when we signed the contract and we managed to kind of like um, we, we managed to attract investment into our company. I had like imagined like, oh my God, you know, we're an event company in COVID. And if I can just do this, this is going to be like a story I can tell for the rest of my life. And, you know, that moment, it's going to be like a liberation, you know, and when it come down, when it came down to it, it was something funny happened because we signed the contract and all of a sudden the next chapter starts, which is like, okay, now we have to prove something right now. We have, now we have this money, but it's not that we can be overjoyed. Now we have like all the promises we've made to our investors now have to come true. So all of a sudden rather than like playing with their own money now we are playing with other people's money and so actually that like liberating feeling wasn't really that liberating let's say it was more like okay here we go you know now it's like the next phase in the company and um i think that is kind of like the story of the entrepreneurial journey or the story of the professional journey for that matter as well is that it's the journey that is the reward it's not the end point it's not about the end point it's not about crossing the finish line there there is no finish line there is literally no finish line in this journey it is all about the journey itself you know and embracing that journey and embracing the grind now when i look back to that period in 2020 i look back to it with with joy because even though it was difficult, I felt so alive every single day when I woke up and I'm like, how are we going to get through today? How are we going to keep the employees motivated? You know, all these things um, was actually a very rewarding feeling in the sense that you just feel very alive. And I think, you know, that's life in a summary. Like we don't want to sleep through our lives. We want to, we want to go through this journey feeling all possible emotions, uh, going through all possible hurdles in order to experience the most that we can experience. Amazing. Well, like I say here, it's a hell of a story. Um, I guess just to get us caught up to current day, and again, for the benefit of people listening that might not be familiar with iGaming Next, can you just contextualize how the company is set up? And I guess, what are the major lines of business, right? I know we have the events business, and obviously we've talked about content in the podcast, but just at a high level, how do you sort of look at the different lines of business and all of the different activities IGN is is involved with? Yeah, so so Jesse, so we have two arms in the company. We have, we have our, our conference arm. So we organize two conferences a year, which is New York and Valletta. New York is coming up now on the 7th and 8th of March, and we have our Agamemnon's Valletta conference 
on the uh, 21st and 22nd of June. Uh, so that's kind of one arm of the company. And then we have the second arm, which is our media business. And traditionally, we come from the event world. So conferences and events has been our forte. But we always say now that when we go into 2023 and onwards, we are becoming a media company first. And the conferences are more supporting our media efforts. So when we go into the future, the media is, is our primary product. So on that side of the um, business, we, we strive to bring thought leadership. We strive to, to bring the latest news, the insights, information, and news to the uh, uh, gaming industry professionals and to investors and other stakeholders that are interested in uh, our gaming industry. We see ourselves as a kind of a positive influence of the industry. We see ourselves as, a, uh, as, a, as an ally, as a promoter of the online gambling and, and, and online sports betting space. And so uh, we want to kind of promote a more sustainable future for the, for the industry, essentially. So the, the media space and the conference space is the two arms of, of our company. Awesome. Well, you talked about iGaming Next New York, which is coming up in a few weeks. I'll be attending and I'm really pumped to go there, Pierre, and, and meet you and the team and obviously everybody in attendance. I have to say, anecdotally, talking to some folks that attended last year's edition of the New York City event, um, from a word of mouth perspective, I don't think I've heard an event spoken of that highly. And I'm, I'm not being disingenuous here. This is something where I've had multiple people say it was just like the, the, the caliber of people in attendance and just the quality of the interactions they had just made it a really standout event from their perspective. So I was curious to ask you, just as I guess, as you and the team have thought about the events business, and again, acknowledging that there is a very full calendar of industry events all around the world put on by different teams and, and companies. What is, I guess, the the differentiator that iGaming Next is really looking to bring to its events business? Or, or what are you guys doing differently, perhaps, that is really, I guess, capturing this attention and excitement from, from you know, influential industry stakeholders? Well, first of all, yes, you are a good hype man, so you should have credits for that. Uh, <laughs> and uh, secondly, yeah, I, I am definitely one of the people who think that there are way too many events in the calendar. And I think that going into 2024, we're going to start seeing more victims, uh, more conference that are not going to be able to continue. And that's why uh, within IGMNX, we say like, we are happy with the two events that we have. And, and it's really important that we nurture those two events to make sure that what you said just now, that kind of that feeling that this is a standout event, that that doesn't go away, right? We don't want to launch more conferences. And so the only result is that all of them become mediocre. Like we'd rather have two and make them excellent, right? And I think that's going to be the strategy going into 2024. But to your point on what makes uh, Argument X New York different, uh, I think, first of all, it, it is a show that is content-led, and so we want to position this uh, conference as kind of like the uh, the Davos of the iGaming in industry, if you will. This is where uh, thought leaders and industry leaders meet in order to do serious business. This is not necessarily where the more kind of like junior segment uh, meets to, uh, to do business with each other. This is a, a conference for C-levels, for founders, for serious institutional investors. This is why we are partnering with uh, Morgan Stanley to co-host the event, uh, to attract the, the, the best of the best, basically, of the industry, to give them a platform to meet and to talk about the future of the agami industry, essentially. That's why this conference exists. That is the purpose of the conference. So while other organizers are trying to kind of promote their conferences as this is the biggest show of the industry, mm -hmm. we think that is not necessarily why people want to go to an event. We think that people want to come to an event because it is the best event. And the best event usually offers platforms 
for people to meet that may not have expected to meet each other. So oftentimes when you go to a bigger event, even though it's quite big, you can feel a bit lonely because there's so many people that you don't know and you don't know what they do that there isn't even a chance to even know if they are relevant to have a conversation with. Whereas at Agamemnon New York, you might come there without knowing that many people, but you best believe that when you leave that conference, you will have met a lot of people that you didn't expect to meet. And that is the, um, that's the secret sauce to a, a great conference, essentially. So that's kind of like the first principle of the conference. And so that's how we build the, uh, uh, the schedule after that with a lot of networking events and opportunities to meet and opportunities to learn from each other and, and stuff like that. That's the, that's the idea. Awesome. Well, like I say, excited to get to New York in a few weeks time and take it all in myself. But I want to ask a couple of questions uh, before we get out of here today, Pierre, just I, I get the industry level and just kind of get your opinion or view on a few things here. I know you're not one that's shy with his opinions or perspectives on different things. One thing I want to focus in on and just again, acknowledging that you talk to, to so many different stakeholders across the industry from all geographies, all um, you know, levels of seniority, different types of companies, et cetera, et cetera. And one sort of segment within that is the early stage or startup segment, obviously a very big focus area for me in this podcast. So zooming in on that, Pierre, I was curious to get your assessment on the state of the funding landscape right now for early stage companies in betting and iGaming. And, you know, for the headlines that I've tracked and follow last month, January 2023, for me was the quietest month for funding announcements in the last year since I've been tracking them. And I don't know if that's just, you know, a sluggish start to the new year. I don't know if that's connected to the wider macroeconomic headwinds and some of these macro trends that we're all dealing with right now. And I guess, you know, we'll see what February brings. But just from your perspective, what are you seeing out there? What are you hearing? And I guess, yeah, what's your sentiment on the funding landscape overall for startups trying to break into the industry? Yeah, it's a, it's a very interesting question. It's something that I'm trying to understand uh, from an outside perspective, right? I'm not an investor myself, but, you know, obviously we report on the industry and we talk to a lot of investors. And I saw actually that the, um, the, the CPI just came in today, I believe, and it was, it was uh, a bit higher than, uh, than consensus, actually. And uh, th there is two narratives that are being spoken from a macro perspective right now. And one of, one of them is that, like, we are now heading towards kind of like a soft landing in the economy. And so... The, obviously, the markets in the last month or two have, have rallied because of this belief, right? And I, a couple of months ago, uh, this was definitely not the sentiment. But then there is a second narrative as well, which is that this is just a, a, a bear rally, rally that is taking place right now. And uh, actually, the effects of the increases in interest rates uh, is not seen yet. And mm -hmm. there might be a, a bubble popping based on the uh, high uh, interest rates that we are seeing now. And this might only be a temporary kind of easing of inflation that has been taking place in the last couple of months. And obviously, uh, the, the, the market rallies as we are seeing them today is not exactly what the feds are looking for. Uh, the amount of jobs that are being added to the economy is not exactly what the um, feds are expecting. Uh, so that is uh, kind of feeding into this narrative that we'll see further uh, interest rates going forward, which then, of course, makes it difficult to, uh, to borrow capital and um, so on and so forth. So. I would say that we are in a very strange space right now where the economy in 2023 can take two very different turns. It can, it can be that we are heading towards a deep recession, or it can be that we actually are getting the soft landing and the economy uh, will, will be a phenomenal place for investments. I think as well, we have to also take into account that we are now starting to see the American online gambling space becoming profitable. And this is a 
big question mark, right, from, from last year that needed to be answered is can the online gambling space in, in North America become profitable? And uh, we are seeing several reports now, obviously, of that turning out to be the case. Uh, I'm really excited to see what's going to happen with DraftKings when, when that report comes out. So that, that's going to be super interesting to, uh, to follow. But I think that is going to be a big decider of how the start the startup batting landscape is going to evolve here in 2023. If the industry does really well, then of course it will be a lot kind of a lot less difficult, let's say, for a startup uh, in the online betting space to seek investment and to to kind of test out their ideas. Whereas uh, if the online gambling space are struggling, then obviously it's a lot more difficult to get funding as well. But as a final point as well, Jesse, I think as well, something that perhaps is not really um, a great sign for the startup landscape over there is the fact that there is kind of like an oli- oligopoly in, in the North American online gambling space, uh, which is four single operators that are owning something like, what is it, like 85% of the, of think, the market yeah. share. And that, that makes it difficult, of course, for the startups, because that's what they are fighting for is these four. Uh, operators. Whereas here on the European side, you have, say, I mean, hundreds of operators that all have relevant liquidity and, and, and deep pockets that can invest into your product. So, so that is something to keep an eye on as well. And I would hope that uh, this oligopoly is not sustainable. That would be my my hope. And I would hope that from an operator point of view, that it will be possible to establish a local operator. You know, based you know that is operating maybe a single state or. Uh, you know that that is a bit more focused uh, rather than trying to go after all markets in the in the states that eventually will be able to uh, establish themselves and create a bit a, a much more sustainable and vibrant uh, market over there awesome we're still early in 2023 right now and it's still coming off of everybody's predictions and analysis for the year ahead here so i'm going to put you into the hot seat here and and ask you that question albeit a month into the new year which is what is maybe your biggest prediction for the industry for the year ahead, Pierre? And, you know, feel free to insert a hot take in there as well, if you like. Again, I know you're not somebody that's really shy with his opinions or perspectives, but yeah, <laughs> what's, sort of the, what's sort of the one or two things that, that you really see as being um, uh, something on the horizon for the industry in the year ahead? Okay, okay. So my dear friend, Todd Halsalter, the CPO, he taught me that when you make predictions, you shouldn't be scared of making predictions. And when you make predictions, it's not about you know, trying to take the easy route and to say the obvious thing. Uh, it's more about trying to create something that is maybe not so likely, but it could happen, right? So those are the most interesting. So so I'm going to go on like a big prediction uh, here, okay? I'm going to say that Las Vegas Sands uh, have, have kind of like painted themselves in a corner right now. They are very dependent on their Asian side of the business. That's where they have all their properties today. Obviously, the Chinese government over in Macau, anything can happen over there. And uh, as a result of that, their business uh, has a very, very high uh, risk factor at the moment. So I'm going to say that Las Vegas Sands have a very good opportunity now because they haven't committed themselves the same way in the online space that, say, MGM has or Caesars mm. and so on and so forth. And uh, Las Vegas Sands have previously said that they are interested in big investments, but not uh, on the operator front. They want to invest into suppliers. So I'm going to say Las Vegas Sands has about a $50 billion market cap, $45-$50 billion market cap. They have an excellent opportunity to uh, acquire the best business in the world uh, on the public market today, which happens to be Swedish, You know, not to beat my own drum here. But um, Evolution Gaming, $28 billion market cap. 
absolutely money machine. Uh, they have more or less uh, a monopoly on uh, live casino. Las Vegas Sands have an excellent opportunity to make an incredible acquisition of Revolution Gaming, use their lobbying power that, uh, with the legacy of Sheldon Addison to lobby for online gambling in the United States. If more states will be legalized in online gambling, uh, Evolution have more or less a monopoly to take over the entire market. And we should re be reminded now, Evolution Gaming, $28 billion market cap. And the North American market, uh, I can't remember by heart now, it's something like 20% of the total revenues from, for Evolution Gaming. And only a couple of states are alive for online gambling. What would happen right. if New York legalizes online gambling? What would happen if any of the other uh, states in North America uh, legalizes online gambling en masse, Evolution would be an absolute machine. So I think Las Vegas Sands, they have the, the power uh, financially to make this transaction. They have the, uh, the lobbying power and, and, and the strength with, with American politicians to make things happen. And couple those two together with the fact that Las Vegas Sands' risk profile is very high right now. I think that you have an absolutely brilliant acquisition there on the table. It would be huge if it would happen. But, uh, that's well, going to be my hot take for you, Jesse, today. I love it. Well, you heard it here first. We'll check back in about 11 months <laughs> and see how you did here. But no, I agree. I think that the conditions are ripe for something, um, you know, seismic like that in terms of a, just a large scale transaction that would be basically industry defining. And uh, I hadn't really heard that one before. So yeah, let's let's pin that one and check back in a little while here, Pierre. Um, just a couple more questions just on your own journey. And you covered a lot here, just sort of sharing your story and, you know, the the challenges of really getting iGaming Next up and, and fighting through the COVID era. How do you stay motivated and inspired to put in the work every day? And speaking as one person with a very niche podcast, recognizing how much damn work it takes to put into content creation at scale and really staying up to date on the industry at large and, you know, keeping your your, your network intact and, and nurturing those relationships. There's a lot to be done every day. So just how do you stay motivated and inspired to just show up every day and, and, and lead and really try and make the dent you and the team are trying to make? Yeah, it's, it's a really good question, Jesse. And, uh, and I think as professionals, we all ask ourselves that question from time to time. You know, our motivation kind of, motivation always goes up and down, right? So that's the very definition of motivation. Sometimes you have it, sometimes you don't, you know? And so what I try to look for instead is what is my underlying drive to do things? Because I think a drive is more consistent. And so you want to have like a, a pretty high uh, kind of low bar, so to say, in, 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 in your drive and motivation. And I, I think about it a lot, like what, it, you know, what is it that drives me or if I have a bad day or bad period, the kind of thing, what is it? And for me, it's a couple of things. Like I, I very much see my employees as part of my extended family. And so as, a, as the MD and founder of my company, it is my responsibility to take care of my employees. It's my responsibility to put them on a journey where they can maximize their own opportunities in their careers, whether that being to, to grow as a professional and to always do bigger things, or whether it be financially as well. My responsibility is to always make sure that they have both, right? And so during the pandemic, that became very clear to me uh, because we had to lower their salaries. And it, it was something that no managing director ever wants to go through is to having having to deliver a message like that to to their hard work working employees and so i always took a lot of pride after that and to make sure that uh, i could always safeguard my employees and always make sure that they uh, that they have the best opportunities uh, possible 
that's uh, that's a major driver in in my career as well. Um, that is extended as well to uh, you know my my actual family, my relatives. Is um, if we do become successful one day, and if we do manage to build up good value in the company and stuff like that, then I want to take care of my family. That's also a big driver. That's that's uh, that I'm reminded uh, myself about uh, a lot as well when I have a tough kind of moment and, and and so on and so forth. And I would add to that as well that actually for myself taking a humble salary as a managing director and living fairly humble as a lifestyle also keeps you on edge in the sense that rather than becoming fat and happy, which is definitely a thing amongst, uh, amongst founders who become successful eventually, uh, that is something that should always be avoided. Keep your refrigerator half full is a saying by our dear friend David Goggins uh, uh, here, who uh, who is a big um, big driver of this, and make sure to always stay hungry. Essentially, uh, that is uh, some of the principles that I try to keep with me in my day to day work. Love it, Pierre. Love it. You know, I just asked you about a, an industry prediction, so let's just narrow that from the industry to just iGaming next. But one more prediction: if you zoom out five years into the future, and today you're sitting there looking into your crystal ball. What does life look like five years from now for iGaming Next? And where does it sit within the industry landscape at that time in your wildest dreams? Uh, yeah, I, I like the, the ending to that question because we, we are not here to be humble. You know, we are not here to uh, incrementally grow from year to year. That, that's what kill my motivation. And that's, that's the day where I will not be the managing director of any company anymore is uh, when we just kind of settle down and, and so on. So the dreams, they have to be wild. The dreams, they have to be out there. And when I look at our opportunities and where we are in the industry and we look at uh, kind of who are the big players in the media space, uh, I think in five years time, we are the next generation Katiana Media. We are the next generation Better Collective because what we do is we are building organic products. We are, we are building our products organically from scratch with love, with attention. Um, we are building them the, 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 from the foundation, the way they should be grown. We're growing our networks, we're growing our teams and so on and so forth. And so just like if you asked the question in 2004, who is going to be the kind of the winners in the social space of the internet, the most obvious answer to that is Google, uh, Yahoo, uh, MySpace. But it ended up being Facebook, this little startup from a university that eventually won the uh, social space. And that is because they built their product organically. They started from one university to two university to four, 16, and the network grew organically. And that's why Google eventually failed with their Google Plus, uh, if you remember that back in the day, uh, because the way big companies approach as new opportunities is that they just kind of throw money at the product and try to do something big from day one. But actually building smaller products where the founder is more kind of intimately involved and you build granular, that very often tends to be the winners in the long run. And so in five years time, I think that we will, we will be the leaders in the media space, in the um, online sports betting, online gambling space to, to be a little bit humble there. Yes. Let's say that we are the second biggest. Yes. <laughs> Love it, Pierre. That takes us to my standard closing question, which is this, if iGaming Next didn't exist and you weren't working in iGaming at all, you weren't working in your previous career as a poker player, if you weren't doing anything you've ever <laughs> done, Pierre, in a parallel universe, what would you be doing instead? <laughs> Well, in a parallel universe, I'll tell you a funny story. I, I, well, the, the idea, when I lived in Sweden, uh, there was a 
there was a point where I was kind of like about to leave the gambling industry because I got another obsession in my head, which was um, uh, MMA. So mm. I started to train MMA and uh, in, in Sweden when I was like 19. And I became like totally obsessed. Uh, you know, I would stand in front of the mirror, like trying to do the, the latest like submission or whatever that we were taught the, the day before. And it was all that existed in my head. It was like UFC, all the things. And so my my goal, my dream became to be uh, a UFC fighter. And then, like, I think it was a pretty good thing that that didn't turn out to be the case because not the, not a sustainable way to live, perhaps. But uh, so as a blessing, I was then headhunted by Betson and I moved to Malta. In Malta, there was no MMA schools that existed. So I kind of transitioned into doing, doing um, Thai boxing and, and uh, grappling for, for fun. And so that dream ne never became reality. But yes, if it wasn't for the gambling industry, uh, you would see me in a cage with like a lot of stitches. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, that would have not been a pretty sight, I don't think. <laughs> well, well, part B to that question, unscheduled part B, what would your walkout song be if you were taking one UFC fight and walking well, down into the ring? What would the song be? Well, I, I, I did the semi-professional Thai boxing fight and, um, and uh, I walked out to... Uh, Gangsta's Paradise. <laughs> Classic. So Gangsta's Paradise, that is my, that is my walkout song. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. For folks listening that might want to learn more about the iGaming Next New York City conference and or anything else you and the team are up to, can you quickly plug everything that's on the agenda right now and give folks an idea where they can connect with you and your team? Oh, absolutely. iGamingNext.com, iGamingNext on all the social platforms, uh, Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, all of that. Uh, please come attend the show. We are pretty much sold out, so th th that's going to be an announcement soon. If you have booked your flights and accommodation but not ticket, make sure to do it now. Don't be like me because I always do it like the day before the conference and I always assume everything's going to be okay. Uh, in this case, we are selling out the show, so please don't wait till last minute. Awesome. Well, it's been a blast talking to you today, Pierre. As I said at the beginning, I feel like I've known you for a while, even though this is only our second time talking, so I'm really looking forward to seeing you in person in a few weeks' time, wishing you a safe trip to New York, and thanks again for joining the pod today. Awesome. Thank you so much, Jesse, and fantastic work for keeping this uh, podcast constant. I know how difficult it is to, to do this week in, week out. Uh, sometimes it's, it's, it's not easy, so you should have all the press in the world for bringing this to the industry. And uh, I'm looking forward to seeing you in New York. Let's have a drink. Mm -hmm.